Hey, it's Josh Cohen from the Orlando Magic, and you're listening to the Penny for Your Thoughts podcast from the guys at Orlando Magic UK. Now it's over to Garrett, Mikey, and Paul. Go Magic! In order for the magic to work, you have to truly believe in the magic. What's up, Magic fans? Welcome to Penny for Your Thoughts, Orlando Magic UK's weekly podcast. This is episode 91, and we will shortly be joined by Josh Cohen. Um, we're glad to say that this week we have some actual magic news to report uh, and to discuss. Um, Paul is a late scratch, as you'll see if you're watching on uh, YouTube, due to a migraine, so we hope he feels better soon. Um, so you're left with um, young Mr. Mikey Clark and myself. So uh, fresh from your trip from Butlins, Mikey, where you met your basketball hero, dude from the Skyline Gang. How are we? <laughs> I'm doing well, mate. Um, everyone's left at the bottom of the barrel tonight with me and G. So uh, sorry about that. That's all right. That's all right. Um, and that's what so you meant to say. Game. No, it's not. <laughs> No, we, we are the bottom of the barrel, let's be honest, mate, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to argue it, mate. I'm not going to argue it. So um, let's get into it. Um, so just quickly do the uh, affiliate plug, just to get it out of the way with. Um, as the boys have mentioned in recent weeks, if you would like to help us do what we do, uh, there's several ways to do so. The first is simply by subscribing to Orlando Magic UK on YouTube. Uh, the reason we ask you simply is we're trying to get to a 1,000 subscribers uh, on the platform, which will basically enable us to get YouTube to pay us uh, a little bit of money, which will assist us with the running uh, running costs of Orlando Magic UK via the website, the main names, that sort of stuff. Um, another way of helping us would be to use our affiliate links uh, for NBA Store EU and Fanatics, as well as our online store, magicfansapparel.tmail.com. Um, all of the links are uh, can be found in the description uh, of the podcast and at orlandomagicuk.com. So then, magic news, Mikey. Right, so the Magic have made two signings since the last podcast. Uh, the first being Admiral Schofield is returning on a two-way contract and shooting guard slash small forward Kevon Harris, I think I said that right, uh, to the other two-way contract. Um, Harris is a 6-6 guard forward, uh, played in 24 games for the Raptors 905 team last season, averaging 15 points and five rebounds. And he also participated for the Minnesota Timberwolves Summer League team, averaging 16 points per game. Uh, and he will uh, wear the number seven jersey. Um, so whilst we're on two-way contracts, and now we've filled uh, this year's quota, um, Ignis Brzdikis, who played for the Magic last season, has apparently signed with, like, wait for it. It's, it's a good thing Paul isn't reading this, okay? He signed for Zalgiris Kaunas, I think, in Lithuania, uh, according to Eurohoops. Uh, he received a one-year contract with an option for a second season, uh, the team stated in an announcement. So, Mikey, any any thoughts on uh, signings in the past week? Uh, I'm certainly happy to see Admiral return. Um, he certainly played well for us when, when he was called upon last season. I, I think the thing the Magic are doing with these two 
two-way contracts with Harris and Schofield is they're both 25. They've both got some some good NBA experience. I know Harris has sort of bounced around the G League. He's played overseas for a season. Um, two versatile players who are good defensively. Um, Harris can certainly shoot the three. Um, I, I actually found an article earlier on about um, Kevon Harris, who played for Minnesota in Summer League. And basically the article was that the Timberwolves shouldn't let Kevon Harris slip um, and go and, mm. and sign for another team because they were really impressed with what he what he's shown in in summer league. Um, the the guy's a good scorer. He can shoot the three. I think he's a forty percent three point shooter, which is something we've we've talked about. The Magic desperately need. Um, I think in summer league he was averaging sixteen points, uh, three rebounds, a couple of assists. He was shooting, I think it was forty two percent from three during summer league. Um, which is just a, a small sample size as to what the kid can do. Um, there's a really crazy video of a dunk that he was that, that he thrown on thrown down on somebody during summer league as well. So the guy's got a bit of he's got some hops. He's got a bit of uh, explosiveness there as well. Um, and I think really the magic are already set with so many young players already. I think it's important that they've got two players there on two way contracts that they can plug in and play that have got that little bit more experience and that can probably just fill a role um, more than taking another swing on a young player and trying to develop them with that sort of contract. So, yeah, I've not really seen a lot of Harris, so I can't really say what to expect from him. Um, but, yeah, I think if you just look at the general, the general uh, like the age of the two players and, and the sort of game that they have, um, I think they're just two solid signings that... You can't really go wrong with the two-way signings because if you make a mistake with, with signing somebody, then it, I think it's pretty easy to cut them and, and bring somebody else in on a two-way two-way deal. So there's a bit more flexibility with that. Um, as with Brzezikas disappearing and going and playing overseas, I don't think... I mean, we're not hating on the guy, but I don't think any of us were happy to see him play so many minutes as he did last year. Um, but... Hopefully he can, because uh, I believe he's going to play for his hometown team in Lithuania as well, which is quite a cool thing for him. So, um, yeah, good for him to move on, get some playing time. And, uh, yeah, the, the, I think there's a few other players that are going to be signing some Exhibit 10 contracts as well, aren't they, ready for tr training oh, camp yeah. as well in the next few weeks. So, uh, yeah, but I, I think the roster's pretty much set now, isn't it, that you think, going into it training is. camp? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Just need to see... Uh how we trim it from 16 to 15, but I'm sure that will be a uh, What do you think going to happen with that then? Oh my gosh. Um, I thought possibly Kennedy would have got a two-way contract or, or somehow managed to, to be reverted to one um, and then used him between Lakeland and Orlando. Obviously those two spots have been taken now. Um, so is Terrence Ross going to be moved? It's still, it's still it's a possibility. Any, it's anyone's guess. It's anyone's guess, isn't it? It's still a I, I think the obvious, the obvious one with Devin Kennedy not being guaranteed until I think it's January. I think that's the the one that's probably front of the list of likely yeah. moves in training camp. But Kennedy's shown us enough that <laughs> I mean the, the guy deserves a chance on an NBA roster, doesn't he? He's got a great he story. Um, he obviously went through that horrible injury and in rehab after he played for us a couple of seasons ago. So, 
Yeah, we'll see. But I think Kennedy is probably the most likely at the moment. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, so whilst this isn't magic news, a bit of NBA news, um, earlier in the week, the Detroit Pistons announced they'll be bringing back the iconic teal jerseys. Um, jerseys synonymous with Grant Hill in the mid-90s. I think they wore them between 1995 and 2001. Uh, the one with the sort of the horse's head on it, so to speak. Um, so I was just going to ask the guy. So Mikey, I just want to know what your top three non-Orlando Magic jerseys are. So a- any jerseys in the association uh, since ever. Just want to see if. Uh... So, so the first one that comes to mind is the is the original Raptor jerseys with the with the Raptor on the front, and I think they had like really light pinstripes on that one. Um, yeah. The purple, the or the white one. They were they were both both really good. Um, so that'd be the first one on the list. The second one, I really like the Minnesota Timberwolves jerseys from like the early two thousands. Is your you're grinning as if it's the same <laughs> same answers here? I, I'm gonna have to pivot here and try and think of some <laughs> other ones. <laughs> that that that's the second one. I really like the Timberwolves where they got like the 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 uh, the trees around the neck and the and the font on the front. Um, they were cool jerseys and KG was pretty intimidating wearing those jerseys in the early 2000s. And then the, th- the third one uh, would be the, what, the, the late 2000 era blue Cleveland Cavaliers jerseys. And the only reason Navy, for that... The Navy is, ones. Yeah, the Navy ones. And the only reason is that is, is just the picture of LeBron walking down the tunnel in game six after we've knocked him out of the Eastern Conference Finals. <laughs> and everyone hates on the magic for stopping LeBron against Kobe in the finals. So, um, no, I'm joking. That's not really my favourite. Um, the other one has to be the, the MJ Chicago ball jerseys, doesn't it? Whether it's white, red, black, they were all classics. Um, they are, in fact. The LeBron one they was are. a joke. It's always good to throw that one in there, Mikey, just just to remind <laughs> everybody that he did lose. Um, yeah, a little bit like you. I'm gonna I'm gonna change my Timberwolves one. Um, I had the '95 Sonics jersey, '95 mm-hmm. through 2001, the green Sonics with like the space needle being orbited by a basketball. Uh, like those a lot. Um, obviously, that Detroit Pistons teal jersey. I won't lie, I do like that also. Um, and then the Vancouver Grizzlies, again, 1995. Um, that's kind of like a tealy kind of green as well. Um, so, no, I'd probably go with those three. And obviously, the Minnesota Timberwolves is classic. Uh, the Raptor one is quality as well. Um, it just makes you appreciate the, you know, the quality jerseys that we had in the 90s and the early noughties, doesn't it? And um, they kind of went away from that a bit. So hopefully we we get to have a little bit more of that in the I, future. I don't really think, I can't really think of any of those jerseys in the early 2000s that were that bad. Like they were all really good jerseys. I can't really think of any off the top of my head. I mean, the Clippers well, the, jerseys weren't great. Oh no, I, they, I think they the were Clip- really plain, weren't they? Yeah. When, when but, all those cartoony sort of fonts were coming out. But off the top of my head, I can't really think of any other teams that had really bad had bad jerseys in the nineties in the early two thousands. Can you? Two thousands. Um, other than Miami, but, Boston, the Lakers. The like. Lakers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
no. Like even the I Hornets, think, yeah. like even the Hornets jerseys in that era were really good as well. Do you know what I mean? Then the they're Hawks. starting to the Hawks, Hawks were really good. yeah. Um, the Wizards like, when they actually had a wizard on the jerseys. Yeah. With, with MJ rocking that, with Jordan wearing that, yeah, that navy one. Three. No, two thousand one, wasn't it? Was it that early? Was it? Oh, it was. Yeah, yeah, sorry, two thousand one. I think that was showing your and age he, now. Yeah, I know, I know. It does, doesn't it? I, I, but the thing is, like, even the Sacramento Kings when they had the, you know, that Chris Webber, Vladdy Divac, Nick Anderson team. Even though that was kind of plainish, it was kind of classic. Um. But again, it kind of piggybacks what onto la- what we were talking about last week is the font made all those jerseys. Yeah. Oh, the Rockets. The Rockets had a decent jersey. The Suns. Late nineties. Charles Barkley Suns jerseys, which are coming back this season. Like, yeah. Let's, let's just yeah. rock the jerseys back from from that era. Do you know what I mean? I know. And never change them again. Let's just go back to the pinstripes and uh yeah. What? Give everybody what everybody wants, basically, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. But no. That's not cool. going to happen. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. No. There we go. Right then. So let's get Josh in. And now we're delighted to be joined once again by Mr. Josh Cohen. Um, everybody should know Josh because this is his third time on the podcast. Um I think that's tied tied with Dante, Mikey, for the uh, most appearances. It might so, well uh, that's <laughs> pretty good. I didn't realize there. I was uh, high up there. That's good to know. <laughs> yeah, take, it's celebrity, take, mate. Yeah, no, that's an exciting kind of piece of history, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for those of you who don't know, uh, not familiar with Josh's work, he's the digital content manager and um, writer for orlandomagicuk.com. So thank you, Josh, for joining us once again. Um, as, as always, you bring a wealth of knowledge. Um, so we're very appreciative of you taking your time out of your busy day to come and speak to us. So are you keeping well? Yeah, doing really well. Thanks again for having me aboard. Really appreciate it. Yeah, things are flying by. I can't believe we're almost in August. Feels like yesterday since the season ended. But obviously so much has transpired with the draft, Summer League, that uh, when things are happening, things tend to go quicker. And that's precisely what's happening. But before we know it, there'll be a schedule release and then obviously training camp and then right into the season. So I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. And we can't wait for the schedule release because it means we get to plan our holiday. <laughs> That's right. That is yeah. right. So as you mentioned, um, you've had a, cra- a crazy few weeks from the lottery to the draft itself. Um, first of all, tell us about your preparation for your role in the build-up to the lottery and draft. Uh, I know last year when you came on the pod, you had great insights on the prospects. So can you just tell us a little bit uh, about your off-season? Yeah. So right after the season ends, we basically wait until the league gives us the green light to permit us to do draft coverage. I think we talked about that the last time I was on. Basically, once the prospects declare for the draft, usually it's like a week or two after that when the league says, "Okay, teams are now allowed to do coverage on all the prospects. So once we got that green light, that's when I pretty much started uh, putting out different pieces on some of the top tier prospects, uh, obviously including Paolo Bancaro, Jabari Smith Jr., Chet Holmgren, just to name a few. But once the lottery occurred, 
which was May 17th, and we got the number one pick, that's when it really kind of shifted toward only focusing on the guys that theoretically could have uh, had a chance at being the top overall pick. So I think I had done features on about 12 or 13 prospects, all in the lottery range. And then once we got the the lottery ping pong balls to go our way, uh, that's when it really shifted toward essentially those top three guys. Although Jaden Ivey was certainly in the conversation, Keegan Murray as well. So there was still some focus on those guys as well. But uh, generally speaking, it was definitely a lot of hammering home on Ben Carroll, Chet Holmgren, and Jabari Smith Jr. So that was the predominant uh, focus for essentially two months or so. And that led right into the draft. Of course, there were a few uh, workouts and other various uh, events that took place uh, before the draft. And then uh, I was in New York for the draft, which was really exciting. Uh, This was actually, I was thinking about this the other day. So I've been to every NBA draft with the exception, obviously, of 2020, because that was all virtual. But I've been to every draft since 2014. So I hope to keep that streak going. Uh, but that was a lot of fun and uh, the enthusiasm throughout the entire building, uh, the build up to who they were actually going to select. I think the anticipation was through the roof. And and then I think once Ben Caro's name was called, I feel like the the overwhelming majority of approval, I think, made it even sweeter. And uh, here we are today. Obviously, Summer League came after that, but we uh, will get to that, I guess, shortly. Yeah, I'm guessing. Yeah. I'm guessing Josh with the number one pick had a little bit less work to do for the website covering covering prospects this year, which was probably a nice thing rather than having to scout about 20 players. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we did have the the second round pick as well. So there was still some... Uh, concentration on guys that theoretically could have been picked in that upper uh, 30s range. Uh, So uh, it's one of those things where I think it's good to have a grasp of as many prospects as possible because you just never know. There could always be trade backs. There could be trade out of certain positions. So it's always nice to have as much knowledge as possible leading into a draft. And that's what I try to do to make sure that our coverage is as good as possible because especially, you know, the magic obviously were picking high in the draft, regardless of how the lottery shipped out. And, uh, and to me, it's just critical to just have as much information to provide as possible uh, leading into the draft, regardless of what slot they're picking from. Yeah, definitely. Um, So you mentioned that you were in New York on on the 23rd of June, Uh, obviously magic selected Paolo Bancaro. Take us through your day from, Waking up in the morning uh, until you turned your laptop off, laptop off at night. Yeah, so it was a huge waiting period. Obviously, I think we we're all waiting uh, patiently or not patiently, depending on uh, perspective. But I actually was trying to prepare for any of the three. To be completely honest, I had stuff kind of written just in case for all three, just for preparation purposes. Nothing in full, but just in case, like because I didn't know which direction they were going to go in. So uh, because I had done so much of the foundation work prior to it was pretty easy for me to start uh, compiling stuff that would be used after the draft, regardless of who they ended up picking. So I pretty much had just like a notepad filled with stuff on Bankero, Holmgren and uh, Jabari Smith. Obviously if they went in a different direction than those three, it would have required kind of starting from some degree of scratch, but uh, you got, you had to figure it would be one of those three. So um, yeah, so I'm in New York. Um, the, the hotel that, most people stay at it's either one of two in times square. So basically I was in the hotel most of the day, just kind of prepping. And uh, then we took a bus over to Barclays center in Brooklyn, probably got there about 
I want to say 5 p.m. I think the draft locally was when it started at 8, 8 o'clock. Yep. So I think I got there at around 5 and just kind of got to, you know, it's one of those things where once you get there, you, you kind of want to relax a little bit. Uh, it can get a little overwhelming if you're going at too fast of a pace. But the way they set it up at the Barclay Center is awesome. There are stations for everyone and there's plenty of space to get uh, whatever someone needs to get done work-wise. So uh, it was just kind of waiting patient. Like I said, I had a lot prepped going into it. And then, uh, yeah, since we had the first pick, we didn't have to wait very long. And uh, once Bancaro was selected, then, you know, he came out to his presser, you know, uh, 15, 20 minutes after that. And I, pretty much the show was on the road from there. And um, I wrote an article and we did some, he basically went in like a full circle throughout the entire facility because they have different stations set up for different outlets. And uh, I went to uh, several of those just to kind of hear what was being said. And um, yeah, I think I got back to the hotel maybe like midnight. Obviously we had to wait to see who we picked in the second round, but I, I think I got to back to the hotel around midnight, um, just finished some stuff from there. And then I probably went to bed like 1am or so. So that was pretty much it. Um, nothing overly eventful, but just kind of uh, a lot of, a lot of mental just thinking about different scenarios mostly. Yeah. And who was on the trip with you there? Yeah. So we had a public relations rep, uh, Trish Wingerson, and then we had someone from our broadcast crew, uh, Tyrone Francesco. Um, that was pretty much on, on our side, the people that were there. I'm trying to think there probably was somebody else uh, as well. But generally speaking, I was around them most of the night. Awesome. Yeah. Well, since, since the excitement of drafting Paolo, we've obviously had NBA Summer League. Tell us what you saw from uh, from Paolo during those, what was it, two games in the end he ended up playing. And how do you expect to see Coach Mosley use Bancaro this season? Yeah, I think he displayed a lot of what we expected of him after his freshman campaign at Duke. Mm -hmm. uh, what we know about him and what we knew about him even before the draft is that he's unique in a general sense. Like he's 6'10", 250, but he moves kind of like a guard. He's not super explosive, doesn't have that blow-by speed, but he's very crafty off the dribble. He really knows how to manipulate defenders. He knows how to use his body to create space. And he's ultra powerful. I mean, especially against summer leaguers. And this is what, this is where the wait and see is going to have to come in because of course, against summer league competition, he's going to use his strength and finesse to outmaneuver the competition, which he did. He got to the free throw line 20 times. Uh, we kind of expected that was going to happen at summer league level. I do think it'll translate to the regular season, but it's more of a wait and see period until then. Uh, yeah. I, I think the power allows him to get his way to the basket, whether it's in a post-up situation, whether it's an isolation situation, whether it's in pick and roll as the ball handler. As a 6'10 guy, it's extremely unique. You don't normally see that. Um, you know, he he reminds me of, uh, you know, Detroit Pistons version Blake Griffin, I think is someone that he's been compared to. I do think he's a little bit more versatile offensively than Blake was at that stage of his career. Of course, Blake earlier in his career with the Clippers was a jump out of the gym athlete. So it's a totally different type of player. And I don't think Paolo quite, quite fits into that realm. Uh, but from a skill set standpoint, I think there's some similarity because uh, Paolo's playmaking is so extraordinarily good at that position. And Blake in that year with the Pistons, when he averaged over almost 25 points 
and he was essentially Detroit's primary orchestrator in the half court, uh, that actually resembles a lot of what Paolo was doing in summer league. Uh, the passing is extraordinary. I mean, for someone his size with the vision and the instincts, and that, that part reminds me a lot of, of Chris Weber back during his Sacramento Kings days. I think that's a, a pretty good comp on that level. But but the thing about Bankero is, and, and the reason he's a number one pick essentially, is because he has unlimited scoring potential. He's got a nice offensive package. Uh, he could hit step backs. He could hit fades out of the post. He can drive. Like we said earlier, he's not ultra fast, but he knows how to maneuver away from defenders using his finesse and his power. And so he got to the basket a lot in summer league. I think the biggest question, and it really hasn't been answered yet. Um, although he did start shooting the ball well at the beginning of the first game against Houston. And then it kind of tailed off a little bit is a shooting touch. Like, you know, he's a great scorer because he has the variety of ways he can score and he'll get to the free throw line and he'll be able to outmuscle a lot of opponents, but we don't know. And this is what all great scorers need is great shooting touch from different ranges you know, we shot almost 34% from three at Duke. Uh, he, pre- he sh- most of those makes came off spot ups. They weren't as smooth on pull-ups. He's going to have the ball a lot in his hands. So while he'll have some spot up opportunities with Markel Fultz, Jalen Suggs, even Franz Wagner kind of handling some of the, the orchestrating of the offense, I think as time evolves, like the expectation is the ball is going to be in his hands a lot. So he's going to have to be able to shoot well from distance off the bounce. And that's something that we just haven't really been able to detect yet, or whether he'll be efficient or not. And to me, at the end of the day, if he's going to be an elite scorer, he's going to have to be efficient. What those exact numbers are, you know, that's debatable. I think, you know, if you look at some of the best scorers in recent memory, you know, I think for a guy like him, high 40s from the field, high 30s from three is probably about uh, an average of what we would expect from someone who is an elite scorer right now. Although it all depends on volume. You know, like Jason Tatum's a great scorer. He only shoots like 44, 45% from the field. And uh, about mid thirties from three up, upper thirties from three. So uh, you could be a great scorer without your percentages being like super elite, like Kevin Durant, for example, who could shoot over 50% from the field in a good season. Uh, but the best scenario would be if he's shooting high or close to 50 from the field and then like high thirties from three. Yeah. Well, the magic um, addressed a three point shooting in the second round as well, selecting Caleb Houston, who they've, uh, just signed to a multi-year contract. Um, how do you see, because how, how do you see the magic utilising Houston this this season? Do you think he's going to get much of an opportunity to play? Um, or do you think we can expect to see him playing in Lakeland for some parts this season? He's definitely an unfinished product. So from a development standpoint, the G League should probably be in his future for the season. Although I presume that, Uh, He will get playing time with Orlando, especially as the season progresses. I mean, he's only 19 years old. He played one year at Michigan. The thing about him that people forget, he was a top 10 recruit coming out of Montverde Academy here in Florida. And so there's unlimited potential with someone like him. He's 6'8". He could space the floor. He could defend multiple positions on a general level. Um, 
we also have to think about the rest of the roster, right? Like it's going to be hard to carve out space for him, at least early in the season, as you still have Terrence Ross, Gary Harris, you know, whenever Jalen Suggs is ready, he might be ready for the start of training camp. I'm not sure, but if he's playing and then Cole Anthony, like the guards are you know, stacking up here. So it'll be tough to carve out some playing time, especially early in the season, but I'm sure he'll get some run. And then, to amplify that, you would think that maybe Lakeland will be in his future, although I haven't heard either way. I just assume that based on the number of pieces this team currently has as far as uh, the young core. And so it'll take time for him. But the skill set that he possesses, I think, is something that the Magic are desperately seeking. Like they need more shooting. You could always use more multi- uh, versatile defenders. And so the fact that he's only 19 and uh, played under Juwan Howard. And obviously we know uh, with other guys on the Magic that some of those guys have performed really, really well. And so uh, I think he's got a a great future as long as he kind of sticks with it and sticks to his principles. But I thought there were some flashes in Summer League, and I think that's an exciting aspect of his game going forward. Definitely. Um, Something we discussed on our podcast last week, be interested in your thoughts there, Josh. Um, As the roster stands... Who would you have as your starting five and the core from the bench? Obviously, you just mentioned Houston there, uh, but we'd just be interested to know who your your main guys are. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, I, I go Markel Fultz at the one. I think when he came back from the injury in late February, he showed enough flashes of what he can be long-term. Of course, we saw some of it before the injury last January 2021, but his playmaking... See, this is what's so fascinating about Markel Fultz is that Yes, he's not the player that people projected of him when he was a number one overall pick by Philadelphia. Because when he was a number one overall pick, everyone thought of like Kyrie Irving, Boston Celtics version, Isaiah Thomas. They thought of these kind of score first combo guards who's going to play immaculate and pick and roll, shoot from all different ranges. Uh, Not necessarily for him, explode off the dribble, be ultra crafty to be able to maneuver away from defenders, which we see all the time from guys like Kyrie Irving, just as an example, or like Jamal Murray when he's playing in healthy. I I think, though, he's become more of that pass first point guard and his playmaking when he came back was absolutely awesome. I mean, he had one of the best per 36 averages and assists in the league. Uh, I definitely think his vision is underrated. I think he's super unselfish. And so I think Markel, I'd pencil him in at the, at the one right now. I know Suggs has got to be in the mix once he's healthy. Um, you know, he obviously showed at Gonzaga that he can handle uh, being a number one as far as running a team. But for right now, I think Fultz should get the starting job at the point guard spot. I just think he makes everyone around him better. Uh, yeah, at the two... I'm going to go Gary Harris here, Uh, obviously incorporating some veteran leadership into the starting lineup, I think is key. Harris started when he was in the lineup most of the time at the two. So he's certainly more than capable of handling his own. He played really well for like a month stretch in like mid-December to mid-January last year. In fact, some nights he was kind of carrying the team offensively. And now by by being re-signed, I'm sure uh, he'll, he'll feel that he can handle some of those extra tasks and they're certainly going to need his perimeter shooting, his perimeter defense, and he's just a calm composed player. I think he showed that last year and he's got plenty of experience, especially when he was, uh, you know, kind of in those 
pressure packed playoff moments with Denver for a few yeah, years. Yeah. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious that Franz will be at the three. I think with Franz, like now with Paolo, it's going to get interesting because I kind of see Franz as a playmaking forward as well. So how much will the ball be in his hands? Because one of the comps I had for him coming into the NBA was Hito Turkoglu. And we saw what what Turkoglu was once the kind of once the ball was kind of put in his direction. Uh, And I do think his playmaking will continue to improve. Uh, I think his three point shooting has to get better. Um, I mean. The Magic were have been among the worst teams in three-point percentage the last few years, so it's an area they're going to have to get better at, and Franz will be a key guy when it comes to outside shooting. But there's not many guys in this league that have better footwork on drives to the basket than Franz. I mean, his touch around the hoop, his ability to swerve away from defenders, even when he's kind of dribbling through traffic, is pretty unique for a guy who's 6'10 himself. And I do think getting to the free-throw line will be important for him. Like, if he's going to drive to the basket as much as he does, you would think at his size, he'd be able to initiate more contact. And I think that'll be a key point for him going forward. So Franz is obviously at the three. Uh, I would just go right away and start Paolo at the four. I wouldn't waste any time. I I know there might be some who out there who say, just kind of bring him along slowly. And that's understandable. But, um, (laughs) you know, when you're a number one pick, like, you know, I'm not saying he's, he doesn't have to at all be, like a complete player by day one. He's not going to be, but uh, let's get the engine going on him. I would think, I think it would be uh, the best situation for him. Give him that experience, Uh, show him like what it takes to be in those key critical situations. And so um, we already obviously talked about his game, but I would just start Paolo at the four right away. But I can understand going in a different direction if that's what uh, Coach Mosley felt was best. Uh, and then I would go with Wendell Carter uh, at the five. I mean, you could argue that Wendell was the Magic's best player in the second half of the season. He had some brilliant performances. Uh, he had a 30-plus point game. He had several 20-plus point games. He plays best when he goes up against the best competition, which is so unique about it. I mean, every time he went up against Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, Nikola Vucevic, Rudy Gobert, those were some of his best games of the season. I mean, he dominated the Bulls, his ex-team, every single time he played them. Uh, He was terrific defensively against Embiid the two times he went up against him. Uh, He handled, I think one time he went up against Gobert and held his own. And against Vucevic, like I said, with the Bulls, like obviously he had a maybe a chip on his shoulder, had some extra motivation there to play well, but he pretty much thoroughly outplayed Vooch in those games. So uh, Wendell, we know, uh, continues to get stronger. His defense is excellent. He moves his feet really well for a big, big guy. And, um, you know, the thing about him, it's funny about this team is that Wendell's a guy at center who theoretically can actually play pick and roll with the ball in his hand, which is so unique for someone his size and in his position. Uh, but you got to expect in this lineup, he'll, he'll be more of the roller, the the, the popper in, in, in the sort of space in the floor a little bit. His three-point shooting came along uh, last year. And so uh, I do expect uh, him to continue to be a force defensively. He's not really a shot blocker, but he moves his feet really well and he's really strong in the post. And offensively, he seems to be coming along nicely. So that'll be my starting five. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned Gary Harris because we talked about this on last week's episode. We we almost pitched it. It was Suggs against Cole Anthony for that starting two right. position. And um, I know I mentioned it and I think we've talked about it on previous episodes about Gary Harris probably gives us the better chance to to compete straight away. But do, do you think there's a do you think there's a, 
if if you if it wasn't Gary Harris, which one of those two would you plug in that two position? That's a great, great question. Depends on what this team really <laughs> needs. Like, obviously, if you need more defensive help, you're going Suggs. If you need more offensive scoring help, you're going Cole Anthony. Um, if you're if I'm picking between those two guys based on who else is in the lineup, I'm probably going Cole Anthony just because he's more of a spark plug from a scoring standpoint. And Jalen can obviously play the backup one behind Fultz. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Cole in the first quarter of last season was arguably the league's most improved player. I know there were many of them throughout the league, and especially as the season went on. <laughs> um, there were a handful of great most improved players. Um, but, you know, Cole was right up there in the first quarter of the season against New York. He had a couple of, you know, brilliant performances. Uh, he was... Terrific in the games that they won early in the year against Utah, against Denver, from what I remember. So you know that when he's on, he's on. Like, he's hard to stop once he gets into a rhythm. We know that he's very creative off the bounce. He's very crafty with his pull-ups. His three-point shooting kind of came and went last year. Uh, He's got to become more consistent with his outside shooting. And, you know... Ultimately, as the season went on, it just seemed like he struggled to maintain that rhythm, but we know he's capable. So based on the guys that I have around that position in the starting lineup, I feel like you have plenty of defense with Franz and Wendell. Paolo is still a little bit of a question mark defensively, but we know that he's a great playmaker. So around him, you're going to want some more offense as well. And so I think Cole would probably be my favorable option if i were just thinking about who should be starting between cole and Jalen. yeah yeah we were two two there was four of us on last week was it five no there was five of us on wasn't there sorry it was four one uh, in favor of uh anthony i was the the lone um Jalen suggs um it's hard it's tough call, voter. It's a tough call. but but mikey made um yeah a great pitch and he, he changed connell's mind so um <laughs> Yeah. If you haven't listened to that, go and have a look at last week's podcast. I will do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll definitely have a listen. But uh, so uh, last question then, Josh. So the Magic decided to, well, whether the Magic decided or, or negotiations happened or didn't, but Robin Lopez left in free agency and went to Cleveland, um, who was a big veteran presence for the team last season. Uh, we've only got Gary Harris and Terrence Ross as main as the main two notable veterans left. Does that worry you at all that there's this team's still really inexperienced and we're really young going into the season? Or is that something we can worry about later down the line? Yeah, I think the most important aspect of that question is that this team is nowhere close to being a finished product. Mm-hmm. So I still look at this, like if you're using a baseball analogy, the Magic, the way they're currently constructed, they're still only in like the second or third inning of this whole thing. Like, I would presume two years from now, this team's still going to look dramatically different. So, we all, you know, we know there's going to be progress made. We don't know how it's ultimately going to look by season's end. But I would presume that in two, three years, with the exception of like obviously Paolo Bencaro and maybe Franz Wagner and maybe Fultz, whoever else. Like there's still going to be some pieces down the road that are not on this roster. So they're not, to me, in my estimation, this team isn't ready yet to say to themselves, do we have exactly what we need to run with for the next five years? Right. 
it's still a process. I think they're, they're still essentially renovating, rebuilding, retooling, however word you want to use to describe that. So I don't worry about that at all because everyone on this team is still in development mode. And, you know, while veterans can help provide some influence, some structure, some guidance, at the end of the day, like these guys are going to have to kind of rely on each other and build off each other. And if you have too many veterans, those guys are going to expect to win now and to be the primary focus of a team now. So I, I actually think there's the perfect amount um, with Gary, Terrence. You know, I, I recognize that this is going to be one of the youngest teams in the league again, but I think this is all part of the plan, all part of the process, and we'll see where they end up at season's end. But they're still essentially in development mode, and so I don't see this as a team that is desperate for some kind of like veteran presence that, that's going to help them win immediately. That'll come eventually. Yeah. If, if everything goes well this season, if we stay healthy, where do you think we'll finish? Have you, have you got a number in your head in terms of win total? Yeah, I, I don't have an exact number. Um, you know, the East is pretty loaded and it, it seems like it got, yeah. it's getting even stronger, but things will start to shift. This is what tends to happen, right? Like you have some of these older teams at the top of the standings that right now are still in championship contention. You know, Miami's kind of always in the mix, but they are an older team, essentially, for the most part, with Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry. You know, they lose P.J. Tucker. Uh, we don't know if Victor Oladipo will be healthy for an entire season. I mean, Bam Adebayo and Tyler here are still young, but uh, generally speaking, they're an advanced team as far as age and experience. You know, of course, Milwaukee with Giannis and Middleton, and we'll see. Middleton will be a free agent next year. We'll see what happens with that. Um and you can go down the line, you know, Philly, of course, you know, they're win now mode. There's going to be a shift eventually. So right this moment, um, obviously it's going to be tough to climb past some of these more experienced teams, these teams that are in win now mode right now. But I certainly think they'll have a chance at uh, competing for a play-in spot. Whatever that win total is, is needed to get there, uh, that's hard to really tell right now. But I think this team is capable of at least challenging for a play-in tournament spot, which I think right now at this stage of their rebuild would be very respectable, very admirable if they can accomplish that. Uh, but there's some really good teams in the East. It's going to be tough. You know, Cleveland's getting better. Atlanta with DeJounte Murray now should be better. Charlotte with Steve Clifford, you know, he obviously is, a, is an excellent coach and we'll see what he can get out of LaMelo Ball. We'll see what happens with Beal and Porzingis in Washington. Of course, the Knicks are being rumored for Donovan Mitchell. If they get him, then they obviously skyrocket. They just got Jalen Brunson. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of good teams in the East, but I, but I do think the magic are, are good enough as is despite being so young to challenge for maybe the playing tournaments, one of those final spots. And you yeah, never know yeah. from there. You never know from there. Maybe they can and get hot. And that's going to take a big jump. Cause I think the playing teams were all on what? 40, 42 wins last right year. Right around there. Yep. The that standings. would be a huge jump. So, yep. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Oh, thank you, Josh, for joining us. Uh, it's always a pleasure to, to speak to you. And uh, we look forward to hopefully seeing you in October. And, and to continue to read your work this season. Greatly appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Oh, you're very, very welcome. Um, so as always, thank you to everyone for listening and watching. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, all at orlandomagicuk.com. It's not .com, is it? That's the Twitter handle, at orlandomagicuk. <laughs> and follow the website at orlandomagicuk.com. 
Uh, so from Josh, Mikey, and myself, until next week, go magic.